Good morning. Please pray with me. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people. Father, we pray that you would be with us this day. Would you encourage and build us up in the most holy faith? Father, would you prepare us for the days ahead? We desire to live in this world as your servants, to be ambassadors for your kingdom. Build us up, we pray. Use us to encourage each other. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I have a cautionary sermon for you this morning. One that may be as hard to hear as it is to preach. Please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel 27. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. I'm I'm not sure it would be possible to overstate how blessed. But of the many pleasant memories I have, one that I dearly cherish is the memory of sitting up in my parents' bed just before my bedtime as a small boy and having Bible stories read to me. Do you have favorite Bible stories? What are your favorite Bible stories? Well, being a fallen little boy, I delighted in those violent and bloody ones. Even though Mrs. Eggermeyer often cleaned them up a little bit for the children's Bible story book from which I often heard the stories. Later I found out that they were even bloodier than my young mind could imagine. I liked Moses and Joseph and Samson and Gideon and Ehud. But for Old Testament heroes... For Old Testament heroes, for a young boy, there's not much competition for David, the second king of Israel, David. That poor, introspective shepherd boy, you remember the youngest of those strong and handsome brothers? You remember he was forgotten back at the sheepfold as a nobody. But according to the mighty Samuel, when God looked at David's heart, he saw something that the eyes of men couldn't see. Jehovah seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but Jehovah looketh on the heart. 1 Samuel sixteen seventeen. The young man was anointed by the great prophet. And soon those skills that he had developed as a country shepherd boy were carried to a great battlefield. And the young hero slew a giant of a man who had defied and humiliated the armies of Israel. 
And suddenly, he was thrust into the limelight. Bam! And from those humble beginnings, the shepherd son of Jesse, the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth, from those humble beginnings we find in Holy Scripture, listen, one of the most complete biographies of anyone in the ancient world. From his anointing to his death, we can sort of live his life with him through the books of First and Second Samuel. And listen, not only are the external events of his life recorded, but because of the Psalms, much of his inner life is revealed. Assuredly, we don't know everything, but listen, we know a lot. We know a lot about David ben Jesse of Bethlehem. We know a lot about this man, the king, the man after God's own heart. We know about his righteousness. We know about his sins. We know about his faithfulness. We know about his disobedience, his fears, his desires, his heroism. His failures. It's all there. All of it. And we can read it and read it and read it again. In the first book of Samuel, chapters 16 through 26, there's a narrative of David's ascent. The prophet Samuel anoints him. King Saul welcomes him to the palace. The prince Jonathan befriends him. And when Saul ultimately turns on him, God protects him and delivers him. He he seems bulletproof, godly, righteous, doesn't he? When his own men plead with him to kill the sleeping Saul... That crazed king who's been making David's life a living hell, chasing him all over the countryside, he won't do it. He won't do it. And if you think that's an anomaly, the narrator records another opportunity that he has to kill Saul, and he won't do it again. He proves that he really means it when he says, I will not lift my hand against him. He is the Lord's anointed. Thanks, listen, if you remember the story at all up to that point, haven't you grown to love David? To admire David? But then, then, after he spares Saul's life in 1 Samuel 26, he doesn't go back to Israel. No, instead he hides out in a startling place in Philistia, in the home of Israel's arch enemies, the idolatrous Philistines. And I've had you turn there, look there to verse 1 Samuel 27. And saints, listen, this is not a bright spot in David's life. Where is faith? Where is hope? 
Where is trust? 1 Samuel 27. The Bible says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in the coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose and passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath. And he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let me dwell in a place in some town in the country, that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezerites and the Amalekites. For those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive. And took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah and against the south of the Jeremalites and against the south of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel to utterly abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. Well, what about this? What do we do with this? Where's the David that we've grown to love? Where's the poster child of Israel? What's happened to him? Consider, he's given himself over to a pagan king in a strange and foreign land. He's basically become a legionnaire, a mercenary. He raids, he kills, he pillages. Oh, he doesn't raid in Israel. No, he just assaults pagans. And he lies about what he's doing. And he massacres everyone involved, men and women. So there's no one left to blow his cover. He's a deeply compromised man. 
He's a soldier of fortune, hiding out in a foreign land, making his living by theft, lies, deceit, and murder. Is this our giant killing hero? Is this the sweet singer of Israel? What in the world? Now listen, for us, reading this millennia after it happened, it's jarring. It's upsetting. But can you imagine being an Israelite back then? What would you be thinking? I mean, which David are we talking about? Which David? Our giant killing hero? The shepherd? The poet? The musician? Or this merciless killer and liar? Woman killer? Who is this man? And what in the world is he doing? Now listen, by this point in the narrative, we've become big fans of David, haven't we? He's obviously the chosen one. He's not like Saul. He seems to be that king that Israel had longed for. But why? Listen, friend. Why does it feel like he's a different person in this chapter? This chapter in which there is not even one mention of Almighty God. Doesn't it almost feel like a betrayal? Are you listening? Doesn't it almost feel like a betrayal? Like he's not the one that we thought he was? Ever had a hero let you down? Have you ever had a hero let you down? We empathize with David. He's hunted relentlessly by Saul. He's on the run. He's away from home. He's a great guy. But now, he's a disappointment. We noted that there's not even a mention of the Almighty in this chapter. And, and maybe that absence speaks volumes. Maybe it's a reflection of what David's mindset was at the time. Instead of loving trust in the divine provision that he's seen his entire life, instead of that, he's making his own way. He's making his own way. And it's a way of blood and death and tears. It's a train wreck. Friend, listen. This book, this book is not like other books. It's different. This book changes people's lives. It's changed lots and lots and lots of people's lives. And listen, could it be, friend, could it be that here, 
In the divine narrative of Holy Scripture, God Almighty Himself, through the pen of the human writer, could it be that He is showing us the danger of human heroes? Could it be? Brothers and sisters, listen. We are quick. We are quick to put men on a pedestal. We're quick to do that. It's just something about us. We have to have our heroes. Listen, why should we be surprised about David's lapse? Why should we be surprised? Why should we be shocked or offended? Why should we feel betrayed? Think about it. Think about it. Think about what the Bible, listen, think about what the Bible is teaching us here in chapter 27. It's teaching us that God's chosen man, is he? He is. It's teaching us that God's chosen man, His anointed servant, this man after God's own heart, is made of the same stuff as all of God's people. Saints, listen. Listen, the Bible does this all the time. You know that, don't you? The Bible does this all the time. God seems to delight to show us the warts and the flaws and the blemishes of His servants so that no flesh may glory in His presence. Think about it. We read about Faith's Hall of Fame just a few minutes ago. Hebrews chapter 11. Do you remember that Hebrews 11 is God's trophy case? Men and women of faith. Men and women that God blessed and used. But listen. Did you listen? In Hebrews chapter 11, all that's mentioned is their victories. Did you notice that? Not their defeats. Not all their mess-ups. Those things aren't even mentioned there at all. But remember, friend, faithful Abraham, faithful Abraham wasn't always full of faith. Twice he lied about his beautiful wife saying, oh, she's my sister. Liar. Forgetting that the God who had promised to make him into a great nation would surely preserve him. Huh. And his wife, Sarah, the beautiful mother of the faithful, well, she wasn't always full of faith either. You remember? She laughed in unbelief when she heard the promise of God. And then she lied and said, I didn't laugh. And he said, you sure did. I heard it. Heroes of faith. Well, Jacob was a deceiving little sycophant. Noah was a drunk. 
Moses was a killer. Samson was a womanizer. Gideon was full of fear. Rahab, well, she was a prostitute. But listen, none of that, none of that is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. David molested a woman and then committed murder to cover it up. Elijah was so depressed that he was suicidal. And you remember Jonah, he, he tried to run away from God. And what about the New Covenant heroes? Well, the disciples all went to sleep. Jesus said, just pray with me a little while. And then Peter, the rock, he denied he even knew the Lord. Well, saints, listen, hear a question. Should we disavow the kingdom of God because its subjects and even its best servants are sinners? Should we disavow the kingdom of God because its subjects and even its premier servants are sinners? Beloved, we cannot. We cannot. We must not. And listen, the text before us, the text before us will not allow for us to despise Saul and then have nothing but admiration for David. Will it? I don't believe it allows for that. The text resists all attempts to portray David as the epitome of virtue. He's clearly not. He's a lustful, lying, bloody man. And Saul is not the epitome of wickedness. Yeah, he's unwise and he's proud and he's fallen. And what about that son of David? You know, the wisest of men? Well, he wasn't wise enough. He ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. And they turned away his heart from following the Lord, according to Holy Scripture. And listen, that wasn't wisdom. That was foolishness. Ever had a hero let you down? Beloved, when I read these articles about prominent ministers of the gospel falling, it makes me sick. It bothers me. It nauseates me. And I've had to ask myself, why does it bother me so much? Why does it sicken me?
Why does it nauseate me? Why does it bother me so, so much? And friend, the answer is disturbing. Because the answer is that I, like everyone else, has bought in. And I've admired the persons of men. And I've made heroes out of fallen human beings. Ever had a hero let you down? The counsel of Holy Scripture and our hymnal is put no confidence in princes, nor for help on man depend. He shall die to dust returning, and his purposes shall end. No confidence. No confidence. No confidence. Beloved, listen. There is only one real hero in Christianity. Do you know his name? Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, and to all people on this earth, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Even by Him does this man stand here before you whole. This, Jesus of Nazareth, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the headstone of the corner. Neither is there any salvation in any other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4, 10 through 12. Do you know His name? Beloved, the hero of Christianity is Jesus of Nazareth. Christ, King, anointed, Son of the living God. And listen, every hero, any hero beside Him, will disappoint you. Oh friend, if you have ears to hear, hear me this morning. Any hero, every hero besides Him will disappoint you. Don't look too close. For you and me to put our faith in anyone other than Jesus of Nazareth, will inevitably lead to disappointment. Can you hear what I'm saying? But we do it anyway. We do it anyway, and that's why it hurts so bad when our heroes fall. I've become convinced that we can't not have heroes. We're just not built that way. We always need someone to look up to. We always need someone to admire. We always need someone to follow. Well, if that's true, then listen. Here's what we have to do constantly. 
Listen, we have to make sure we're looking to the right hero. And brothers and sisters, Jesus of Nazareth is all the hero we will ever need. And He will never let us down. And if we look to Him, we will not be disappointed. Growing up in the church that I did as a young man, I had the opportunity to hear many wise and beautiful prayers. And one of the petitions that I heard a mentor of mine pray again and again and again as I grew up was, Father, help us not to bring shame to the name of the Master. Do you understand that request? He was praying that God would not allow us, us fallen human beings, us sinners saved by grace, us professing Christians, that God would not allow us as ambassadors of the kingdom to act in such a way as it might bring shame upon the king. Now this idea is rooted in Nathan's rebuke of David's adultery. You remember when David confronted David, or when Nathan confronted David with his sin saying, Thou art the man. The Bible says, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, The Lord has also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. How be it, because this deed has given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child that is born unto thee shall surely die. 2 Samuel 12, 13 and 14. David shamed God. So the prayer, listen, the prayer that we would not bring shame to our Master is a prayer that we would not give occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I don't want to be an embarrassment to Jesus. God help me. You see, when these preachers fall, When these writers, these authors fall, the enemies of our faith say, you see, I told you they're all hypocrites. Told you. They're just like us. But they act real pretty. Beloved, the prayer that we would not bring shame to the name of our Master, that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. You see, there's a taint, a shame, a disgrace that sin brings. And it's corrupting, it's disturbing. I've got books in my library that I'm conflicted about. Conflicted because the books blessed me when I read them. But now, 
The author has been shown to be a notorious secret sinner who has shamed the church and abused the gospel and dishonored the master. What should I do now? Should I keep those books in my library? Or should I take them down to half-price books and let someone else have them? Or throw them away? Or burn them? What should I do? Well, to date, I haven't done anything. Like I said, I'm conflicted. And my thought has been, well, if I took every book out of my library written by a guy who's a sinner, well, I guess I wouldn't have a library. And I guess I would have to rip the Psalms out of my Bible. I don't know what I'll do. But I can't see those books by that author on my shelf without pain. And without a certain revulsion. I wish someone else had written that. Oh, Father, help us all. Keep us from evil. Help us not to bring shame upon the precious name of Jesus. Saints, listen. The hero of Christianity is Jesus. And any man but Him, any man but the God-man will inevitably disappoint you. If you have ears to hear, please hear. If your hero is anyone other than Jesus, your hero will let you down. Sin, like a venomous disease, infects our vital blood. The only balm is sovereign grace and the physician, God. Our beauty and our strength are fled and we draw near to death. But Christ the Lord recalls the dead with His almighty breath. Madness by nature reigns within. The passions burn in rage till God's own Son with skill divine the inward fires assuage. We lick the dust We grasp the wind and solid good despise. Such is the folly of the mind till Jesus makes us wise. We give our souls the wounds they feel. We drink the poisonous gall and rush with fury down to hell. But heaven prevents the fall. The man possessed among the tombs cuts his own flesh and cries. He foams and rages till Jesus comes and the foul spirit flies. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, give me a deeper repentance, a horror of sin 
a dread of its approach. Help me chastely to flee it and jealously to resolve that my heart shall be thine alone. Give me a deeper trust that I may lose myself to find myself in thee, the ground of my rest, the spring of my being. Give me a deeper knowledge of thyself as Savior, Master, Lord, King. Give me deeper power in private prayer, more sweetness in the Holy Scripture, a more steadfast grip on its truth. Give me deeper holiness in my speech, thought, actions, and let me not seek moral virtue apart from Thee. O plow deep in me, great Lord, heavenly husbandman, that my being filled may be like a tilled field, the roots of grace spreading far and wide until Thou alone art seen in me. Thy beauty golden like summer harvest, Thy fruitfulness as autumn plenty. O help me have no master but Thee, no law but Thy will, no delight but Thyself, no wealth but that Thou givest, no good but that Thou blessest, no peace but that which Thou bestowest. I am nothing but that Thou makest me. I have nothing but what I receive from Thee. I can be nothing but that grace adorns me. O quarry deep within me, dear Lord, and fill me to overflowing with thy living water. In Jesus' name, amen.